everybody once again and welcome to a special episode of the North American Soccer Show. Joining me today is Dr. Seelan Parekh. First of all, I guess, Dr. Parekh, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Oh, just fine. Just fine. Uh, happy to happy to have you here on the podcast and, and, and hopefully we these technical issues start to go away here sometime soon. <laughs> no, no worries. So on this special episode, we brought in Dr. Parekh uh, to talk to us a little bit about um, a couple of very specific kinds of injuries. Um, to, to give you some background on him, Dr. Parekh is a professor of orthopedic surgery at the University of Duke and the co-founder of the Fantasy Doctors, the number one group of doctors and surgeons for sports injuries and analysis, all with a fantasy spin. They've got their own podcast, The Fantasy Doctors, that you can find anywhere you get your podcast and have appeared numerous times as experts, including for DraftKings, ESPN, Sirius Radio, and many more. So we're dealing with, uh, we're dealing with the, the big guns here today, and we, we've got some, some big injuries that have come out here in the MLS very recently that we, that we want to have the chance to discuss with you, Dr. Parekh. So here's, uh, here's hoping that you can enlighten us a little bit on, on some injuries that we've had a lot of experience with as sports fans, but maybe not necessarily know the, the intricacies of, of what those injuries entail. And then, you know, I, I, here at the end, we'll talk about one Tyler Miller, who there's not really a lot going on about uh, in, in the media about his injury, but we'll uh, we'll get into it and we'll do some speculation and, and let Dr. Parekh do some analysis and rock and roll from there. Yeah, that sounds great. So the first thing that I want to discuss is the is the Carlos heel injury um, with the Achilles tear. Now, the Achilles tendon connects the entirety of the calf to the heel of the foot, which makes it a, a pretty important ligament for at least the running motion of soccer players. And I'm, I'm sure that's not all. Let's start with an overview of the functions of the Achilles tendon itself and what a player loses in terms of movement and mobility, even with a strain to that tendon. Yeah. So, you know, I get this question a lot, not only from my patients, personal patients and athletes, but also from the media, because, you know, you hear Achilles tendon tears throughout sports, but mainly soccer and uh, and even more so football and a little bit less basketball. You know, if you think about your Achilles tendon, it's actually uh, a structure that attaches the bone, your heel bone, to the muscle, um, which is that big calf muscle you feel. Now, that calf muscle actually goes all the way up to the back of your knee. So it is a big, big structure. And in fact, it's the biggest, longest tendon of the human body. And what it really works to do is to give you that push off strength when you really want to kind of explosively get to the ball of your foot and to push off and, and, and uh, be able to push yourself uh, explosively in a running motion. And so it's critical for athletes uh, to be able to have that motion because and that strength because for them, even if they lose one or 2% of that explosiveness, that can be the difference between being a starter or being on the bench or getting a renewed contract, or not having one at all. What is it that makes it easier for soccer players and, and football players to, to tear that particular tendon more so than basketball players? Is it just the, the amount of wear and tear that goes on, uh, on that tendon because there's much more running going on? Or is it, like you had said, is it the explosiveness of movement of soccer players and football players compared to basketball players? Or, or, or what exactly creates a greater risk for those sports? I think that, you know, when you look at the occurrence and the the incidence of the Achilles ruptures, for basketball players and soccer players, there's I think there's a, a number of different things. Number one, the surface can be unpredictable, whether it's artificial turf, grass, 
or depending on what's kind of uh, padded the artificial turf underneath, these guys can have uh, a variability in surfaces that can affect the mechanics of running and jumping, and so therefore it can put the Achilles at risk. Uh, you know, a basketball player is always on a court, whether it's their home court or an away court or a practice court, a court's a court for the most part, and it's very predictable on the surface. Um, so that's one issue. The second thing is, um, even though there are physical games in basketball, I think that uh, from a lower extremity perspective, football and soccer are much more physical and, and much more um, changes in direction and cuts and pivots. And so I, I think that that also puts your Achilles tendon at risk much more than for a basketball player. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, and and what is it that actually causes an Achilles tear? The first thing that comes to mind uh, is, is stretching past the breaking point when when bending the knee over the foot, like when you plant your foot rem- when your plant foot remains in place when there's too much forward motion. Are there other ways that are equally as rough or worse on that particular tendon? Yeah. So you know the Achilles tendon functions to bring your foot downwards, push it downwards, as if you're pushing on the gas pedal. When it is doing a what we call a concentric contractor, where it's basically working in the motion it's supposed to, which is pushing your foot down, the chance of tearing an Achilles tendon with that motion is pretty, pretty small. Where you see it really rupture or, or the mechanism for tearing is when the muscle is contracting. So it's trying to push the foot down. But what happens is the mechanism or, or the, the force going through the foot is actually pushing the foot up. So basically, that's called the eccentric motion. The the muscle is trying to contract, push the foot down, but for whatever reason, there's a motion counteracting the foot at the ball of the foot and pushing the foot upwards, and it's causing that that Achilles tendon to elongate when it's really trying to contract, and that's where you get back, uh, you pass that breaking point, and that's where you really kind of run the risk of tearing it because. The force is going above the ability of the Achilles tendon to withstand uh, what's being put on it, and that's where you see the ruptures happen. And is that part of the reason why you you tend to see Achilles tears more specifically happen uh, during running motions, uh, like you had said before, especially with the with the different cuts and the the amount of space that soccer players and football players have to work with uh, on the pitch or on the field? Is that why you tend to see Achilles tears in motion rather than you know it being more of a being more of a, a knock or a, or a hit style injury? Absolutely, because that is where the Achilles tendon is most at risk. And so that is where you're going to see that occurrence happen. Got it. So what we'll do is is it's let's shift specifically to Carlos Heel. Uh, talk to me about his particular injury. Talk to me about how it happened, um, and and really kind of what you foresee for his recovery period. So for him, what really happened is as as he was running, you see the uh, the knee go over the the ankle like you were talking about. So. What's happening is that Achilles tendon is being lengthened, even though he's trying to push off, and so it pops. Um, and so you get that tear. Now, when that happens, it's very easy usually to, to diagnose that right on the field. Um, the trainers can diagnose it. The surgeon obviously can diagnose it as well. Um, and for our elite athletes, the preference is to 
to bring them to the operating room to basically take the two ends and stitch it back together. Well, and I noticed one thing that you said uh, when describing that injury is that in an in an instance like like with heels uh, Achilles tear, you had said that it almost it almost popped. Now I was looking at um, you know trying to trying to not sound like I don't know what I'm talking about, and I'm sure I'm struggling a little bit with that here, but uh, I was looking at at images of the, the the different tendons that we were talking about, as well as the, the Achilles tendon, and that's a, that's a big, thick, ropey tendon. So, you know, comparatively to the size of, like, you know, the, the cruciate ligaments that we'll talk about here in a little bit, is, is part of the recovery process for the Achilles tendon made tougher by the fact that it is it is so big and it is so sinewy and 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 ropey or for the most part is it a pretty simple process to get it uh, to get it back together and then it's just waiting for it to naturally retain its length so the tendon is much different than uh, a ligament and a lot of people confuse it so a ligament attaches bone to bone so when we talk about ACLs and PCLs and MCLs um, it takes a lot longer for a ligament to heal because bone has to grow into the ligament. In this scenario where it's a tendon, where muscle is attaching to bone, you're really asking the tendon to just heal, in this case for the Achilles, heal to itself. So the tendon tears in the middle of, of itself versus where it attaches to the muscle. So it's a little bit more reliable in some ways, but because it's soft tissue, it just takes time. The soft tissue needs to heal, um, and that you can't speed that up. Now, everybody's different, so some athletes have the, the in, intrinsic milieu to heal faster than others, but in and of itself, there's no way to get somebody to heal faster or do something to make them heal quicker. Um, surgically, for us, <clears throat> it really... It doesn't matter on the individual either. If we can get to the operating room, typically within four weeks of the injury, and with our our athletes, we're usually in the operating room within a week, we can put those ends back together really easily and using uh, a variety of different stitching techniques, we stitch the two ends together. And it heals very reliably um, as long as you're giving it time to heal. If you've, you you If you put these athletes out there too fast, too quickly, and it hasn't had a chance to heal, what can happen is you can stretch out your repair. You can stretch out those sutures, uh, the stitches, and then the athlete actually heals in a longer position, which can impact their performance and their power. See, this is why we're asking you these questions. I'm already up in here messing up tendons and ligaments, my friend. <laughs> so, uh, considering what goes into that surgery and rebuilding, um, is it is it because of the time that it takes for for the process to uh, of the tendon kind of regrowing itself? Is is it because of the amount of time that that takes that some Achilles injuries last three to five months, while others can keep players like Santi Cazorla out for almost a year? Is it always going to be a question of being player by player as well as surgeon by surgeon, uh, or are there areas of the of that particular tendon where it's more difficult to repair than than other places where that pop is? So most of the Achilles tendon tears happen in something we call in, in medicine, in orthopedics, we call the watershed area. So basically, if you feel where your Achilles tendon attaches to the heel bone and you put four fingers from the heel bone upwards, that's basically known as a watershed area. And that's basically a place that 
all humans have poor blood supply to the Achilles tendon. And so that's the most susceptible place for it to tear. And so the good, the good news is about 70% of Achilles tendon tears occur right in that area. And, and so um, that is probably one of the more reliable places for it to tear. Um, occasionally, you can have these Achilles tendon tears happen right where that calf muscle, uh, the bulk of that calf muscle ends up kind of contouring um, to your Achilles tendon if it's up that high. Uh, Oftentimes, that does not need to be repaired because the muscle belly has such great blood supply that those tendons, uh, those tears up there do not need to be repaired. Now, you, you raise an interesting question, which is, does it matter surgeon to surgeon? And, and I am of the opinion that it does because there are surgeons who use older techniques to do these repairs. And um, those older techniques, the skin took longer to heal. You had wound complications. Um, and, and so you had some issues that you had to worry about. And because of those soft tissue issues, you would lock these ankles up for about six weeks before you'd let them move it. The newer repairs, the newer techniques that's, that many surgeons do, including myself, we will make a small incision about an inch and a half, two inches long, and basically do your repair in that manner. When you do it in those smaller, uh, smaller approaches, there's less disruption of the skin, less disruption of the tissues around the Achilles. So you can actually mobilize these athletes much faster. You can get them moving much quicker. You can get them rehabbed much quicker. And so um, that's important because every week that I can start moving these athletes faster means a faster week that I can get them back onto the field. So from a surgeon perspective, technique perspective, that's important. But ultimately, it's all about the athlete's ability to heal their, their nutrition their ability to their body's ability to um, clear out fluid, to clear out uh, swelling, the ability of the skin to heal, and, and a lot of those things you can't control. It's just the intrinsics of your body. And with those techniques, before we move on to the to the next injury, with those techniques, is that a is that a preference choice made by surgeons? Is it a is it a technological restriction that that some folks may not have? Uh, some surgeons or doctors may not have access to performing the the more modern techniques that you're talking about. I th I think that it's probably more of a this is what I'm used to and this is how the athletes did and I'm I'm finding continuing to go down this path for many surgeons. Um, I don't think it's a, you know, the, the minute we call mini open techniques, they don't require for the most part, special instruments. Um, they can be done in, in all the standard operating room instrumentation that, that's supplied around the world. So I, I think more often than not, it's just, Hey, this is the way I did it. It worked. And this is the way I continue to do it. Do you see, in in your line of work, and especially being one of the surgeons that uses more modern techniques, especially with this kind of an injury, do you see do you see players making their choices, uh, or or clubs or teams making their choices on who to employ or who to contract uh, to be their to be their surgeon or to be their 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 hospital whenever they sustain injuries like this, or 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 is it is it more of a is it more of a you know whoever's available kind of uh, choice that gets made. Yeah, so actually, interestingly, the, the typical choice of who does the surgeries is you would think it's made by the team doctor. It actually isn't. 
Um, more often than not, it's the agents who decide where the player will have their surgery. Interesting. And, I, and to be quite honest, I'm not always sure that they know who is doing the most cutting edge modern techniques. I think that uh, sometimes they go by who's the most uh, well, well-known or most relationship-wise most accessible. And so I think that's sometimes how these choices are made as to who does the surgery. That's an interesting thing to think about, especially from a, a fan's perspective, where where we don't we don't have we're not privy to that kind of information. It, it's an interesting concept to consider because you know with an agent where their entire business is based on relationships, it, it would absolutely make sense that those choices are being made on a on a relationship or a reputation basis and. And, you know, perhaps, you know, without specifically calling out any any particular names of agents or, or players who have been injured in the past, but it would be in, it, it would be an interesting thing to look into to, to determine, you know, with some of these players that have longer layoffs from from injuries like an Achilles tear, whether or not the decision made by the agents um, for who their practitioner is, who their surgeon is, uh, has anything to do with why they might have had that longer layoff. Yeah, no, that's a very interesting thought. And actually, at Duke, um, we have entertained trying to bring the agents into our institution. You know, Duke Sports is known around the world. Mm. But to bring them into our institution, just to have them educated on not only relationship building, but more importantly, understanding what is the most cutting-edge, modern techniques to treat these athletes so that they know where the best place is to send these athletes, that it's not just based on reputation. Interesting stuff. Okay, well, we've got a couple more injuries that we do want to talk about. Uh, and one of the one of the biggest ones in in the last, I'd say, six to eight weeks, and one that I know is, is, is close to Chris uh, Smith of our North American Soccer Show's fame's heart, uh, is the Joseph Martinez injury. Now, Talk to me a little bit specifically about Joseph Martinez's injury, because as you've discussed and, you know, as part of the notes that I've tried to throw together, and I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be wrong once again uh, at some stage, but uh, collateral ligaments like the MCL and the LCL connect the femur to the tibia and the fibula, respectively, and focuses largely on limiting sideways movements in the knee, while the cruciate ligaments like the ACL and the PCL connect the femur to the center of the tibia. So, for for Joseph Martinez, expand to into, uh, expand for us a little bit about what exactly happened with him on the medical side of things, as well as as well as how that happened on the pitch. Because I'm, I'm sure everybody's seen where where he went he went a little weak need um, whenever he was colliding with the Nashville SC defender, and that's that's where that's where the ligament went. Um, but what is it about what is it about that kind of that kind of motion or the necessity for that kind of a knock that 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 separates that separates how cruciate ligaments get torn or popped or, or, or ruptured uh, from the from the Achilles tears that we talked about. Yeah, so uh, <clears throat> so just to like kind of expand, you know, everybody talks about ACL, PCL, and then medial collateral ligament and LCL, and and for the the public, it becomes very confusing as to what goes where and what does what. Now, the ACL is the most commonly torn out of all four of those. The ACL and the PCL sit right in the center of your knee, and they really help the shin bones to be stable so that it doesn't move front to back. So the ACL prevents it from moving frontwards. The PCL prevents that shin bone moving backwards on the thigh bone. And then you have the 
MCL, which is a medial collateral ligament, and the LCL, which is a lateral collateral ligament. So the LCL sits on the outside of the knee. The MCL sits on the inside of the knee. And they prevent the, the knee, the shin bone, from shifting to the right or to the left of the shin bone. And so that's kind of how this all works. Now, the knee itself really moves front to back. And so um, it, it's like a hinge. It moves up and down. And so that is why the ACL and the PCL tend to be the most susceptible to be injured because it moves front to back. Um, and, and so if somebody takes a blow to their knee from the front, okay, so imagine you're standing there and somebody falls on your shin bone and rolls into your front of your shin bone. That's how you can tear up your PCL because the shin bone moves back on the thigh bone and that's where the PCL is supposed to hold it together and it can tear. If somebody rolls kind of on the back of your shin bone and moves your shin bone to the front of the knee, then that's how you tear your ACL. Okay. So you could say, well, you know, a, a lot of times, and if you look at Joseph Martinez's films, it, it doesn't look like somebody rolled on it from the back. And that is correct because the other thing that the ACL and PCL do is they do help with some rotation control. So a lot of these athletes, when they're running, they are getting a complicated motion of rotation with a front or back motion. And the the front motion is typically what they see. So it's the frontward thrust with a rotation that pops the ACL. And if you rotate it enough, you can injure the MCL or you can injure what's called the, the meniscus, these two little discs that sit in the knee, which help, the, uh, which help to act like shock absorbers between the shin bone and the, and the thigh bone. Um, but that is why you normally see ACLs tear because it's that front thrust as they're running with the, the rotation and the ACL is at risk and it pops. Gotcha. So essentially, the the main reason that ACL injuries seem to be the most common in sports, or at least sports that include or or require high intensity running, is because essentially we don't run backwards when we play sports; we run forwards. So when you have that when you have that forward motion, you don't necessarily need somebody to roll up on the back of the calf and and shift that shin bone forward. You you doing the motion of running and you completing that action is all the forward motion that your ACL needs to pop provided that you have some sort of instigating or, 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 or mitigating movement, whether it be somebody knocking your knee, uh, like, like in the Joseph Martinez instance, or, you know, whenever you're making that high intensity, quick cut going one direction to another, that's where some of that rotational, uh, ro- rotational movement can cause trouble for the ACL. Absolutely. Exactly right. And that puts it at risk. Got it. So focusing in on the ACL and the MCL, I, I know from a fan's perspective, before I started doing research for this podcast, I'll be honest with you, I knew that there had to be another ligament in there, and I knew that there were four, but I couldn't have told you what the LCL was to save my life. Um, <laughs> and it seems like you tend to see more frequently ACL and MCL injuries. Why is it that these two ligaments specifically are damaged more frequently in high-intensity sports? I know you've touched on the ACL a little bit, so if you want to expand on the ACL specifically, then feel free. Uh, but but the MCL as well, uh, since we haven't talked about it much, what is it about their function that leads to more wear and tear on these ligaments? Or rather, rather than wear and tear, is it the motion players conduct on the field that leads to higher risk? I think you you know that was part of my question. I think you touched on that with the ACL. Does that also apply to the MCL? So absolutely, it applies with the MCL as well. So what you see here, almost almost never do you just see an MCL tear or an LCL tear. 
Okay. Uh, the ACL and the MCL go hand in hand typically because um, if you have enough rotation when you tear the ACL, the next ligament at risk in that rotation is the MCL. So there's there's a, uh, a, a name for this in orthopedics. We call it the terrible triad because what can happen is if you have enough of a rotation issue uh, after the ACL tears, you can tear not only the MCL, but also the medial meniscus, the inner meniscus, that cushion I was talking about. So mm. all three of these can go hand in hand. And depending on how much of a rotation you have uh, at the time of tearing, you can tear either the ACL alone, the ACL with the MCL, or the ACL and the MCL with the meniscus. And it kind of, uh, as, you, as you tear all three, it's a higher level of energy that's gone through the knee to tear all three. So it's really a spectrum of injury from ACL alone to ACL-MCL to ACL-MCL with medial meniscus. Well, and I want to touch on injury severity with this injury as well. Um, some injuries can range from a few weeks to a few months. Uh, you know, we, we talked about the, the you know, how you can strain an Achilles tendon as well as tear it. You know, you're also looking at the difference between a strained and torn pectoral muscle. Why is the time gap between a strained and torn or ruptured ACL so much larger, with the latter keeping some players away from playing for as long as 18 months? I know when we were talking about my mistake with tendons and ligaments, you were talking about how the bone has to grow into the ligaments. Is that really... Is that really why, especially with these ligament damages, um, that there's such a long layoff? So, you know, well, so let's talk about strains versus tears. So, again, I'm going to talk to you about a spectrum of injury. So when you strain your ligament, you have stretched it out. And, and if you looked at it microscopically, you'll have microscopic tears. But if you look at the tendon, it looks normal. Okay, so that's a strain. And then obviously a, a tear is where you really fully tear it. So it's no longer connected to each other. So when you have strains, depending on the severity of the strain, and, and an MRI can give you a clue of that severity, you can miss two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, depends on the severity of it. But they don't usually need surgery because these are micro tears. But again, grossly looking at the tendon, it looks normal. When you tear an ACL, for an athlete, that is surgical because the ligament cannot heal itself back reliably. And so um, what we do is uh, in the operating room is we replace or reconstruct that ligament using either the patient's own tissue or using cadaver tissue to replace that ligament. Now, when you replace that ligament or reconstruct it, you need time for uh, the ligament to the bone to grow into ligament, both at the thigh the thigh bone interface as well as the shin bone interface so that takes a little time and we have mechanisms in the operating room to try to uh, keep that fixation as strong as possible um, so that's one issue but then there's all the rehab that needs to occur to get that ligament back to the to the function as close to the function as normal as possible not only in terms of strength but in terms of what something known as proprioception basically reteaching the the nerves around the knee to pick up when the knee is susceptible to being injured so that the muscles can fire and protect the knee and that takes time too 
So it's a big rehab. And for most, there's not a lot of data in the soccer world, but if you look at the NFL world, those athletes, again, nine to 12 months to return to play. Now you will have amazing specimens like Adrian Peterson, who will smash timelines and come back in six months. But that is not the norm. and That is not what is typical. When we see athletes that tear their ACLs, I am telling them nine to 11 months is the expectation to return to play, sometimes longer, very rarely less. Now, I will say I, I definitely I definitely was listening that whole time. But when you said cadaver, it, it I, I almost had a brief moment where my brain shut off for a minute. You can you can take you can take ligaments from cadavers and use that in the replacement or the reconstruction process for an ACL. Does that apply to, to any ligament? So um, without getting too technical, yeah, you can do it for different things. So for example, uh, not for the Achilles tendon for – well, as a primary Achilles tendon, we don't do that. But you know, in a scenario where an athlete tore their Achilles tendon a second time or a third time, we can actually get a cadaver tendon and rebuild the Achilles tendon. For the ACL, you're actually not using a cadaver ACL. You're taking actually a cadaver. Um, so I'll back up for a second. If you feel your kneecap and you feel the kneecap at, at the end and then you feel the patella tendon, you can actually take the patella tendon and part of the bone where it attaches to the shin bone and part of the bone of the kneecap. And you can take that either from the athlete themselves or from a cadaver and you can use that to rebuild the ACL. This all may be totally normal to everybody else, but this is legitimately shocking to me. So when you guys get cadavers in the hospital, do you guys like check out knees, especially in a, you know, with a, with Duke having such a, 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 a well-known and, and, and well-used orthopedic surgery department, do you guys just like check out cadavers and say, man, this one's got some good knees. Let's keep this one around for a while. <laughs> No, so these are third-party companies that that do this stuff um, that have nothing to do with the individual institution, and they 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 create what's called tissue banks, where they they basically uh, store all of these cadaver tissues. And when we think we need them, we call for it, um, and then we get delivered to the hospital. So the other thing that I want to do, especially for the cruciate ruptures and the cruciate tears, is we see we see injuries like this across. A variety of different sports because you know sports in there aren't very many sports out there where you just don't use your knees you know so it seems to me that there are some sports where the the layoff from an ACL rupture or an ACL tear seem to have less of a layoff um, than for instance uh, like tennis and baseball players don't tend to to be out for as long as footballs and football and soccer players do is that an is that a misconception uh from a fan's perspective about that timeout where you just, you don't see as many ACL injuries in tennis and baseball, which is why it seems like the layoff isn't so bad. Or is there, is there a reason why some sports are, are worse in terms of the layoff on the physical injury? Well, in general, you do not see as many ACL tears in tennis or baseball, primarily because they're not as impacted driven, right? I mean, there's so much contact of the lower extremities in football and and uh, and and soccer that you put the knee at risk much more often than you would in in baseball or in tennis. So that's one issue. 
But it's the same reason why it's faster to come back from an ACL tear in those other sports than in soccer or baseball because you don't have to worry about the risk that the uh, knee is under constantly like you do with, with soccer and football. Well, and to move away uh, towards our, our final question for you here, Dr. Parekh, you and I, we we made this tentative agenda on Wednesday, and we've spent the last few days trying to do as much digging as we can on the, the Tyler Miller hip injury, which has... There's a lot of there's a lot out there in terms of information uh, in the in the media about what's going to happen. You know, we know that he's had hip issues in the past, and we know that you know at the current time he's currently having issues with both hips, and both are going to require some form of surgery. Uh, but we don't necessarily know very much about the, the the specific details of of what's gone on and what that injury history looks like, as well as what exactly is going on now. So in in the the pre podcast chit chat that we had, you said that you've got you've got some speculation about what's going on, uh, as well as you know how that how it relates to past injuries, and, and you you feel like you've got a pretty good idea of what's happening. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn this over to you. Talk to us about this Tyler Miller hip injury. Let us know let us know kind of what you're seeing based on his injury history, and and what fans should expect. Uh, for Miller going forward, not only in terms of recovery time, but how it might impact his short-term and long-term career as a, as a goalkeeper. So, you know, to, to understand really what's going on with Tyler Miller and, and, again, looking at everything that's been reported on him, it's it's highly speculative because we just don't have much information. But you got to really understand the anatomy. And so when you look at the anatomy of the hip, it's what we call a ball and socket joint, meaning – that uh, there's a ball on your hip that attaches to your femur or your thigh bone, and that sits in a socket in your pelvis. Um, And so that ball and socket move as the stick or the femur bone moves as well. Now, right in the rim of that socket is a bumper called a labrum, which helps to keep that uh, ball inside the, the cup. What can happen is that labrum can tear, and obviously that's called a labrum tear, Um, Or on the rim of the socket uh, of the cup, you can develop ridges known as a bone spur. And so if you have the bone spurs or the ridges as the stick moves, it can hit the ridges and cause pain. That's called um, impingement of the hip. Um, But you can also have the ball start kind of riding the rim of the cup hitting the tears that are in the bumper and the, and the labrum, and that causes pain, and that's called labrum tear. So the fact that he needs surgery on both hips makes me believe this is more of an impingement issue. Now, when you have both, it's a longer recovery. When it's just the one side, you're looking roughly at six to eight months to return to play. When you're doing both sides, it's eight to 12 months before you're back on the field. Got it. Well, Dr. Parekh, this has been in- incredibly enlightening, um, you know, not only to talk about these these couple injuries that we get the chance to, to see on a consistent basis, unfortunately, but also to find out a little bit more about Tyler Miller. I'm going to go ahead and let you go for this one, and, and I'm, I'm sure we'll be back together at some point in time as, as I'm sure injuries are going to start rolling out here in the next couple of weeks. Let everybody know uh, where we can find you, what you and the fantasy doctors are going to be doing here in the, here in the coming weeks. And, uh, and we will go ahead and close out the special edition. Yeah, so um, thanks. You know, um, the Fantasy Doctors, we really focus on giving you insight into the injuries of these athletes. 
And we cut across all sports from the NFL to NBA, MLB, MLS, international football um, and cricket all all across the board. So if there's injuries that you're, you want to know about or follow us for, you can follow us either on our website at thefantasydoctors.com. That's thefantasydoctors.com. You can also follow us on our Twitter handle at thefantasydrs. Um, and then there's a podcast. You can find us on any of your podcast uh, uh, venues um, to be able to hear uh, all insight on these injuries. Um, and those are usually the best ways to get information. Uh, we also have subscri- a subscription model for the NFL fantasy owners who really want to get in a little bit more and get uh, more insight as to what our recommendations are for for uh, which which athletes to bench and which ones to activate. We have that option as well. Perfect. Well, again, this has been the special edition of the North American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Dylan Baker. You can find me on Twitter at DLN underscore BKR. Dr. Breck, once again, it was it was great to have you on here, and I appreciate your patience bearing through all these technical issues. Thanks for having me on. We will see you guys again next week as we get back into regularly scheduled North American Soccer programming.